of John chapter 21. Today we begin the last chapter of this great book, last chapter in our study in the Gospel of John. And today's message is a message about fishing. How many have ever been fishing? How many have ever caught a fish? All right. Well, if you didn't raise your hand for the first question, you sure couldn't raise your hand for the second. If you're going to catch fish, you have to go fishing. I know that we do have some fishermen in our congregation. I see all the hands that were raised. And when you talk to a fisherman, sometimes you can get some very wild stories. Someone asked a question, what is the difference between a fairy tale and a fish story? A fairy tale begins with once upon a time, and a fisherman's story begins with, I swear to you, this is no lie. (laughs) Well, in this uh, 21st chapter of John, the disciples went fishing, and I'm sure that they would have liked to have lied about their success, but Jesus was there, of course, and he knew the truth, and so they had to tell the truth. We're going to talk about this fish story today, and we're not going to talk so much about maybe the success that the disciples had about fishing, but we want to learn some very valuable life lessons from this passage of Scripture in John chapter 21. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word today. John chapter 21, and we want to begin reading with verse number 1. John 21, verse number 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise he showed himself. There were together Simon Peter... Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, and we know that that's John, that's the way he describes himself. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We just ask you, Lord, to bless this message and bless the hearers. Lord, may we learn something here that will help us that we might follow you better and follow your directions and do exactly as you say. Bless in the message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus met the disciples in the morning 
It was after a long night of fishing when the disciples had no success. Today, I want to talk to you about some lessons that these disciples learned. And there are some very valuable life lessons that I think that we can learn here as well. First, I think Jesus is trying to teach the disciples here a lesson about failure. A lesson about failure. Now, I want you to visualize the scene for just a moment. Because in Matthew, we learn that Jesus told the disciples that they were to head for Galilee, leave Jerusalem and go to Galilee, and there he would meet with them. Not all of the disciples are present here. There are only seven of the disciples that were there. And uh, they had gone before Jesus just like he told them to do. Well, most of us are, are very familiar, I think, by now with the personality of Peter. Peter was the kind of guy who, you know, he just sort of liked to take things into his own hands. He was a take-charge sort of fella. He was a very impatient sort of man. And remember, it was Peter who was the one who drew out that sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he swung his sword in defense of Jesus, and he struck off the, the ear of the high priest. And Jesus, of course, had to clean up that mess because Peter didn't wait to hear the instructions of the Lord. He didn't wait to hear exactly what Jesus wanted him to do. Well, here we find that Peter is in the sort of the same predicament. And many Bible sponsors believe that what Peter is doing here, he was very, being very impatient again. He couldn't just go and just sit and wait on the Lord to come. And so he decided that he was going to go fishing. He said, I'm going fishing. Well, Peter was the disciple that the others looked up to. I mean, he was sort of the leader of the group, and he was like the, the kid in the group, you know, the one that everybody else follows. And so when Peter said, I'm going fishing, all of the other disciples or those that were there present, they said, well, we're going fishing too. If you're going, so are we. So picture the scene here. You have seven men in this boat out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing, and they've been fishing all night long. All night long, they've been throwing their nets over the side of the boat, drawing those nets back in, oh, time after time, throwing it in, but they don't catch anything. Every time that the net comes back, there is no fish on it, in it. So they keep throwing out the nets. Time after time, they keep pulling the nets back in. Still, they don't have any fish. Well, what we have here are seasoned fishermen but they totally failed at what they're doing. They couldn't catch anything. Well, this isn't just a problem about catching fish because we actually learn a couple of lessons here about failure. And the first one I think that we learn here is that you will fail when you misunderstand God's call. When you misunderstand exactly what God wants you to do, you'll often fail. And I think this is what happened to the disciples. They misunderstood what Jesus wanted them to do. Now, they went... From Jerusalem, They left as they were supposed to do. They went towards Galilee. But instead of doing what Jesus wanted them to do, just to wait until he got there, they decided they were going to go fishing. And they were out there, of course, fishing for fish. But the Lord, Jesus, did not want them to do that kind of fishing. Way back when Jesus began his ministry, back at the very beginning of three years before this time, he spoke to the disciples and told them exactly what he wanted them to do. He said in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So these are fishermen by trade. That's what they do for a living. But Jesus said to them, I don't want you any longer to be fishers of fish. I want you to be fishers of men. I want you to go out there and get men and women and boys and girls and teenagers. And I want you to capture them for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he called them to do. 
He called them to go out there for the Heavenly Father and to bring in the souls of men that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that that is a call that God has given to all of us here today. If you are a member of a Bible-believing church, this is the command that Christ has given you also. He wants you to be a fisher of men. God has given us this new ministry of evangelism, and he says, I want you to go out there, and I want you to fish for the souls of people. And if we go all the way back to the very earliest churches, back to the time of Jesus and after that, this was very clearly understood by the people. They knew exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. The churches were always concerned in this area. They knew that they ought to be fishers of men. Most of you have probably seen that little chrome fish that people put on the back of their cars. We have a picture of one of those today. This is is a symbol that goes all the way back to the time of Jesus, to those very first Christians. That was the symbol of Christianity. Now remember back in those days that Christians were very severely persecuted, and so they often had to hide. They, they couldn't let it be known outwardly in many places that they were, that they were Christians. So one of the things that they would do to identify one another was to use this symbol of a fish. When they met someone, they would go and they would take a stick and they would make a half oval just like this in the dirt. And then that other person would take a stick and he would come along and he'd make the half oval right underneath and they'd form it into a fish. And that way they knew without either one of them even speaking that this other person was a Christian. Sometimes on the inside of that fish, the ones that you see on cars at least, you see some Greek letters. You see the Greek letters iota, chi, theta, upsilon, sigma. You know what that stands for? It stands for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And so from the very earliest of times, people did understand this, that this is what God has called us to do. He wants us to be fishers of men. And that work that Jesus has called us to do is far more valuable than commercial fishing or any fishing that we might do today. It's far more valuable because this is talking about preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God has called us to do. The main mission work of the church is to evangelize. It's to go out and preach to people and bring them so they might come to know Jesus. Now, evangelize, that's simply another word that means preach the gospel. And without the gospel, there won't be anyone who will ever be saved. And that's why it's so important. God says, be fishers of men. You know, I like that little saying that you see sometimes. We catch them and God cleans them. And that is absolutely true, isn't it? God calls us to go out and catch them. Now, here's the application I'd like to make for you today. And that is that God has called you. First of all, he's called you to salvation He's called you to be one of his children, but he doesn't stop there. God also calls you to service. And the work of the ministry is not something that churches do that's reserved only for pastors who do this. It's not just for the deacons who are to be a part of this, not just Sunday school teachers. God has called everyone in the church, every one of us who are believers, we are to be involved in this ministry of bringing people to Jesus Christ. And maybe there are some of you today that you are just as confused as the disciples were. You're really not doing what God's called you to do. You misunderstand the call that God's given you. And so you've got other things on your mind all the time rather than being someone who is a fisher of men. 
And I promise you that in your Christian life, you're going to end up as a failure if you don't understand God's call for your life. This is a part of it. This is a huge part of it. You're going to fail if you misunderstand God's call. But also, I think that we see here, there's a lesson we can learn that you will fail when you labor in your own strength. These disciples, they went out, they got into the boat, they labored all night long, and they failed because they depended upon themselves and upon their equipment. We can catch fish, they thought. And I don't know, maybe they might even have had one of Eric's famous rods and reels, but it didn't do any good at all. They couldn't catch any fish. And there's nothing more frustrating than that. If you're a fisherman to spend all night long or spend extended hours trying to catch something and catch no fish, that's totally frustrating. So all night long, they're fishing without results. Well, here's what I believe about it. I believe that Jesus told those fish to stay out of their nets. Jesus commanded so. Fish, you don't swim into those nets. And I think the reason that he did, because he wanted to teach these disciples a lesson about failure. If you go out there in your own strength, you will fail. How much did they catch? Verse number three says they entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. In John 15, verse number five, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And you'll notice there that Jesus did not say, without me, you can do something. And without me, you can do a little bit of things. Some things you can do. Jesus didn't say that. Without me, you can do nothing. Now, if those disciples were out there and they were fishing that night and they said, well, we caught a fish or we caught two fish or three fish, whatever, they could have said, well, it is something. At least we did catch something. But Jesus didn't allow that because he wanted to show them that without him, they could do nothing. Have you learned that lesson yet? Are you aware of that? Do you understand that principle? You you may be a strong, strapping, do-it-yourself, self-made man. That never works in a Christian life. Oh, it works in the business world, perhaps. It can work there. But in the Christian life, it will never work. Self-made men make it in business, but they don't make it in the Christian life. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the best way to gauge whether you are, are doing things in your own strength or in the power of the Lord? You know the best way to gauge it? Just ask yourself this question. What would happen if the Holy Spirit were to leave this world right now? What if the Holy Spirit was no longer present in the world? How would that change your life? Would anything be different at all? I mean, would you notice any difference? Uh, Or would you go on day after day just like you do now? What if the Holy Spirit was gone? You know what would I think would happen if the Holy Spirit was gone in many of our churches that we have today? Sunday morning would roll around. The church staff would show up for work. And services would go on just like always before. The work would carry on just like it always did. The master plan for development that we have, it will take no hits. And that's because the things that churches do today so many times are in the energy of the flesh. They're proceeding under their own strength and their own power. And I want to promise you this, that in the Word of God, according to the Word of God, all of that ends up a big, fat zero. It doesn't count in God's economy. All night long they fished. Finally, it was morning. 
And there was Jesus standing on the seashore, watch seashore, watching out, looking out there at them. And we notice in verse number 5, Jesus said, Children, have you any meat? Have you caught any fish? Why did Jesus ask them that? He knew the answer to that question, didn't he? Of course he knew the answer. I mean, I just told you, I think that he said, Fish, don't go into that net. He knew exactly the answer to the question, but he asked the question anyway. You ever wonder about that sometimes? You read the Bible? Why does God ask questions that he already knows the answer to? And he often does that, doesn't he? He knows the answer to all of them. But what God wants us to do is to own up to the answers to those questions ourselves. You remember when Adam was in the Garden of Eden and he'd partaken of that forbidden fruit? And Adam discovered, he realized that he was naked. God came looking for him in the garden and he asked Adam, Adam, who told you that you were naked? He knew the answer to that question, but he wanted Adam to own up to this, that he'd been out there flirting with the devil. God knew the answer. Later, Adam and Eve were raising Cain and uh, God went to Cain and he said to him, Cain, where's your brother Abel? God knew the answer to the question, knew exactly where Abel was, but he wanted Cain to own up to the answer himself. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is doing here. Have you caught anything? Is anything going on in your life there? What's happening in your life? And God wants us to own up to the answers to these questions. Now I want to ask you a question today. I want to ask you this. Are you accomplishing anything lasting in your life? Fill out those two blanks on your listening sheet. And answer that question, am I accomplishing anything lasting in my life? 1,000 years from today, is there anything that you're doing right now that will be remembered? That anybody will know anything about? That will have any kind of lasting consequences to it? Do you realize that there's only two eternal things that you can actually touch? In this life, there's only two eternal things you can touch. One of them's right here. It's the Word of God. This is eternal You can touch the Word of God. You can read the Word of God. And the other eternal thing that you touch in your life is the souls of men and women. Those are the only eternal things that you'll ever touch in this life. Now, when you win a soul to Jesus Christ, when you bring those fish in, when you capture them for the kingdom of God, that soul will be there throughout all eternity. That's a remembrance of work that you've done, and that's something that is lasting Are you doing anything lasting with your life? We're so concerned about here and now, what's going on right here, what's happening, and we don't care at all about eternal things. And God is asking us the question. He's standing on the shore of your life, and he's asking you, what are you doing with your life right now? What is it that you're doing that's lasting, that's for my kingdom? And I dare say that most of us, if we answer that question, we'll have to say, nothing We've caught nothing. We've done nothing. And that's a question that you need to answer. Are you doing anything lasting? Now, that's the first lesson that I think we learn here. It's a lesson about failure. But I think we need to learn something else here. There's also in this a lesson about fullness. And the lesson about fullness is that we must obey God's instructions. Here we find that one moment they experience failure... And in the next, they have so many fish that they can't even drag them all into the boat. How do you do that? How do you go from failure to fullness? How do you go from failure to success? Well, the answer to the question is to follow the instructions, just like the disciples did. 
Let's notice this, that true success begins when you admit your failure. True success begins when you admit your failure. Let me see your hands, men. If you're the kind of guy that sits down on the living room floor and starts to put something together, and you sit there for about three hours working on this, and finally you say, Honey, bring me the instructions. How many of you do that? Oh, I see some hands out there. That happens a lot of times, doesn't it? See, you're never going to have success until you admit that when you're doing it your way, it just won't work. Success begins when you admit, I can't do it by myself. I'm a failure. Now, I want you to notice what the disciples did. Jesus said to them, are you catching anything? And they were honest here. They said, no. These guys are fishermen. But those of you that are fishermen know this about them. They didn't follow the fishermen's protocol. Although they're seasoned fishermen, they don't follow the fisherman's protocol. What's the fisherman's protocol? Well, when someone comes along, you've been out there and you haven't caught anything, and someone says, are you catching any fish? You don't say no. What fisherman's going to do that? He said, not much. Not catching too many fish. They didn't follow the fisherman's protocol. Let me tell you something. You cannot trust a fisherman. You can't trust them. Because the fisherman's protocol also says... That no matter if you're catching so many fish, you can't get them all in the boat. You still say, not much. You don't want somebody coming throwing their line in your fishing hole. So you always say, not much. But these disciples, they're honest with this. Jesus asked the questions and they admit their failure. They say, we're not catching anything. Folks, I don't care what program that you try, the, the 12 steps or the 8 rules or 6 steps, whatever it is. It always begins with this right here. Admit your problem. Admit that you failed and you're powerless to do anything about it. And that's exactly what they had to do. They did everything they possibly could do, everything that they knew as fishermen to do. They kept throwing out the nets, but they didn't catch anything. And so they had to admit, this is just not working We can't do it by ourselves. Now, we also see another lesson here about success. True success may be just on the other side of the boat. To get what you need may actually be closer than you think. Look at verse number 6. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. Maybe this is what you need to do. You need to make a few adjustments to things. When you find out that you failed and you can't get the job accomplished, maybe it's because you need to make a few adjustments. And sometimes those adjustments aren't really big, serious adjustments. They may be just on the other side of the boat. How far is success for these guys? Six or eight feet over to the other side of the boat. Now, some of you, I think, you're right about this. You are out there in the water. You are actually trying to do something but you're not having very much success at it. And the problem might be that you need to make a few adjustments. One of the adjustments you might need to make is the attitude adjustment. You need to change your attitude just a little bit. Yeah, you're out there. You're trying to do what you're supposed to do, but you've got a bitter spirit. You've got a critical spirit. You're always complaining and griping about the way things are done. Maybe you just need to change your attitude a little bit. And I promise you, when you make the proper adjustments, you'll find success maybe just on the other side of the boat. Maybe as in in your Christian life, you find out that the motive for what you're doing is totally wrong. 
Why are you teaching that Sunday school class? Why do you sing up here in the choir? Why do you come out on Wednesday night? Is it because someone will look at you and think, my, 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 what a great Christian that is. And I know some people do it, say, well, I've got a position in the church, so this is kind of required of me, and I come because I have an obligation to be there. Try changing your attitude a little bit if you want some success in your Christian life. Try this for a change. I, 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 I sing in the choir because I love Jesus. That's why I do it. And I teach my Sunday school class. I do that because I love Jesus. And if you'll try this, try coming out on Wednesday night for a service because you love Jesus, you'll find out that you'll have a little bit more success in your Christian life. There's some attitude adjustments that need to go on. Why do you do the things that you do? Change the attitude a little bit. So Jesus stood out there on the shore and he said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Anybody here ever read this and think, you know, they probably already thought about that. They probably had already done this. I mean, I can just see it right now. Jesus says, throw your nets on the other side of the ship. And Peter's looking at Jesus like, what? Everybody's a fishing expert now, aren't they? Don't you hate people like that? Everybody's an expert. Don't you think we already tried that? Throwing the net on the other side? Well, of course they did. What fisherman goes out there and fishes all night and stays in the same spot all night long when he doesn't catch anything? They'd rode all over that lake. One side to the other, north, south, east, west. They threw out the nets on the right side, on the left side, from the bow to the stern, from the port to the starboard. They did it all. They kept throwing out the net and kept dragging it back in, and they still didn't catch anything. Well, what did Peter do? He didn't do what we expect. Jesus said, throw the net on the other side, and we expect Peter to go... He's an expert. Throw your net on the other side. What did he do? Threw the net on the other side. He just picked up the net and threw it on the other side. Here's what you find out, folks, your third lesson in this. True success is hearing and obeying God. If you want success, try doing what God says. Hear what he says and obey him. You want two words that describe success? Financial security. No. I don't see that here. Bank account. No. Mercedes Benz. That spells success. No. Big house. Nope. True success. Hear and obey. Just listen to what God says and do what he says. Do it in the way that he says to do it. Now, Simon Peter could have called right back to Jesus. We already tried that, but he didn't do it. He threw his net on the right side of the ship. Let me tell you something, folks. Here is the most liberating thing that you'll find out about catching souls for Jesus. The most liberating thing that you'll find out is the only thing that God commands you to do is cast the net. He doesn't tell you that you have to be the one that convinces anybody to be saved. He doesn't tell you that by your rhetoric and the presentation that you give that people will be saved. Did you know that's God's responsibility? He's only told you to do one thing, cast out the net. And I promise you, if you do things the way God says to do it and you cast out the net, there'll be fish in your boat. Now, here's the thing about it. 
When you cast out your net, then Jesus drives into that net all that he wants to be there. And all the ones that he wants to be in the boat, Jesus will make sure that they get in the boat. If you go down to verse number 11, the scripture is very specific about how many fish were caught. 153 fish. Not 152. And not 154. 153. And do you know why? Because when Jesus was ready, when the timing was right, he told those fish, now fish, swim into the net. And there were 153 fish that Jesus told to swim into the net. And they all went in. Now here's what God says. He just says, do it. You just do it. You may not understand how. You may not understand why. You don't know how this is all going to work out. But I promise you, if you do it God's way, there will be success. So here's another question for you. Have you tried doing things God's way? Have you tried doing it God's way? Don't be that guy that sits out there in the middle of the living room floor trying to put it all together your way. Get God's instructions and do it God's way. Now, there's one final lesson that we learn from this story, and this is a lesson about fellowship. If you want to enter into fellowship with Jesus, then what do you have to do? You just have to accept his invitation. That's the key to intimacy with God. This is not the Last Supper that we're reading about here. This is the breakfast on the beach. And Jesus made an invitation to the disciples. Verse number 12. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. So what's the best way that you can find intimacy and fellowship with Jesus? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to seek him enthusiastically. If you want fellowship and intimacy, seek Jesus enthusiastically. Now, when those disciples understood that this was Jesus standing on the seashore, and when they started bringing all of those fish in at Jesus' command, then Simon Peter did something. Simon Peter jumped overboard. Peter was full of energy. He was always that way. And when John says, you know, that's Jesus over there, then Peter jumped overboard. You know, some people think that, that, that Peter was ashamed because he was naked. And so he jumped into the sea because he didn't have any clothes on. Did you know, actually, the word there does not mean that he was stark naked. What it means is that he just had his undergarments on. And beyond that meaning, what this is actually saying is that Peter could not wait to get to Jesus. He couldn't wait for the ship to, or, or the boat to row to shore. He jumped overboard and started swimming towards Jesus. He was enthusiastic to be with the Lord. What about you? What about your eagerness to, to be with Jesus? I mean, what about your intimacy of fellowship with him? Are you anxious to be with Jesus? What's your service to him like? Oh, take it or leave it. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, who knows, when I feel like it, then I'll start doing something for Jesus. You'll never have closeness of intimacy and fellowship with Jesus unless you decide that you're going to be enthusiastic about what you're going to do for him. Some of us come to church and we sit in those seats right there. Man, we look like the world is going to end in about five minutes. And we haven't got anything done. We've got to take care of it all. But we need to start out serving Jesus enthusiastically. And if you do, you'll find fellowship with him. Now look here at verse number nine. Excuse me. uh, uh, Yeah, verse number nine says, And soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. How else do we have 
fellowship with Jesus. Well, we do it this way. We spend time with him regularly. Spend time with him regularly. How do you get to know somebody? You spend time with him, don't you? If you want to get to know somebody intimacy, intimately and, and have some fellowship and sweet fellowship with them, you've got to spend some time with them. Now listen, folks, there, there aren't any pills that you can take to get to this position. This lesson sheet, you can fill it all the way out. I hope you did. And you've got all the notes between all the blanks and both sides completely done. And that's not the secret to having intimacy and fellowship with Jesus. The way to do that is to spend time with Jesus regularly. Now there in verse number 9, we actually find two things, two representations here of how to have fellowship with Jesus. The first one is Jesus had a fire there. And that fire represents the warmth of his presence. Just be in the presence of Jesus and you'll find there's warmth there. There's, there's fellowship and warmth with Jesus. The psalmist said in six, uh, Psalm 16 verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Also we find that there was food and that food represents the nourishment of God's word. Now, these disciples brought fish. There were 153 fish, but Jesus already had fish prepared. And Jesus has exactly what you need. You can bring what you have to Jesus, but he already has what you need. How much time do you spend in God's word? You know, that's a good question for most of us. How much time do we spend in God's word? Is the only time that you come uh, open your Bible is when you come to church? I mean, is, is the last time that you saw your Bible was on August the 12th last week on Sunday morning, is that the last time you picked up your Bible? I know that you've all remember this story about the preacher who went to visit uh, a church member's house and the lady of the house, she wanted to impress the preacher. And so she told her daughter, she said, uh, honey, would you go in there in the other room and get that big book that your mother loved so well? Of course, she meant the Bible, didn't she? But kids, you know, they have a way of discovering the truth in ways you don't want them to. And so she said, honey, why don't you go in there and get that big book that your mama loves so well? And her daughter came back with the Sears catalog. Isn't that what happens? I mean, we don't spend time in God's word. Do you have the kind of eagerness that you need to be with Jesus? And are you willing to spend a little bit of time fellowshipping around the word of God? That's what you need to have if you're going to be successful and have fullness and to have all of these things and to have fellowship with Jesus. So if you want to know Jesus better, get to know him around his word. Did you know what this word is? This word is God speaking to us. This is literally God speaking to us. And then what you need to do is you need to start praying because that's you speaking to God. And if you want some fellowship with Jesus, then you've got to spend some time with him. Spend time regularly. Did you know that there are two kinds of Christians that you find on earth? There are two kinds of Christians. There are those that are going to heaven with a scowl on their face, with a gripe and a complaint, and they're miserable. And there are other Christians that are going with a smile on their face, and there's joy in their heart. And you know the difference between the two? The ones with joy and with a smile are the ones who take time to spend time with Jesus regularly. Have you learned these life lessons? If you failed then you need to go back and find out, do you really understand God's call for your life? If you failed, then start doing what God told you to do. Go out there in the strength of the Lord 
and bring the fish in for Jesus. And if you want to be full, then you start doing things the way that God tells you to do them. And if you want to have fellowship with God, you've got to seek Him enthusiastically, and you've got to spend time with Him regularly. So what do you need to do today? You just need to listen to the invitation that Jesus gives. Come and dine. Come to me in salvation. Trust me as your personal Lord and Savior. And then begin to spend some sweet fellowship with me around my word. That's what God's calling you to do today. Do you understand that? There's some great lessons here about living the Christian life. Lessons about failure and what to do. Lessons about fullness. And lessons about fellowship. How's your intimacy with Jesus today? Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we just thank you for the opportunity to speak of your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who does bring fullness into our lives, who's the answer to all of our failures. And Lord, we're just so happy that you're the kind of God who wants to have fellowship with us. We are so undeserving. We failed you so many times, but you still issue that invitation and you tell us just come. Just come, and you'll have everything that we need. Lord, speak to people's hearts today. If somebody's here is not saved, show them the way of salvation. Holy Spirit, speak to their heart today. And then those who are saved, we just pray, Lord, that there would be a renewed commitment here right now to go out and do what you've told us to do, to go out and bring the fish in just as you want us to. Bless in this invitation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.